take my mask off right before I walked up here, and um, I'm having a technical difficulty with the microphone now, so that's my delay. Hopefully this thing will stay on. Let's open in prayer. Father, the church is yours. We're all yours. We're so thankful to be yours. And we come now to give ourselves to you and to receive from you. And we pray that you will speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this sermon's going to be a little bit different today. I have never given a let's restart having communion sermon uh, after six months off. Thank you. Um, and uh, so we're all in new territory today. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time summarizing where we've been, talk about some practical things we can do, and uh, then just a little bit of time in the Word. Don't spend as long in the Word like I like to do normally. Uh, but we're just going to uh, do some more practical invitation type things uh, today because obviously it's a very, very different Sunday for us. You know, we're about to take the Lord's Supper together after, I don't know the exact time, five or six months though, since we've communed as a church. wonder what you're feeling about that today. One of the thoughts I've had is what if it's anticlimactic? What if after all this talk, and we've talked a lot, what if after all this talk we've done, especially over the last three months about the Lord's Supper, what if it just feels kind of like a letdown? But here's the thing we have to remember when we have thoughts like that. This has never been about us making something happen. It is the Lord's Supper. He does what he does. And we don't show up to say, well, now you'll do it like we said. <laughs> you know we preached about it. So now do it or else. That's just not the way it works. If, if we come with that spirit, then we are destined to find ourselves disappointed. But if we come with the spirit of humility that says, God, just be God. Because I recognize that you are and I'm not. And I'm not trying to make anything happen. I'm not trying to force anything. Which is a good rule for the spiritual life in general. Never try to force things. Then we are in a posture to receive. And it will be different at different times. Some Sundays we will have powerful moments of encounter with the Lord. Other Sundays it will be more quiet and subdued. Still forming us in ways we don't see. But always with our confidence being in God. Our confidence is not in the Lord's Supper. Our confidence is not in a certain process or a certain procedure. See, if we go down, down that road of saying, oh, now we've got the right process. Now we've got even the right thoughts. In contrast to all those other people who got it wrong, that route lies pride and pretense and eventually frustration why aren't we getting out of it what we've told ourselves we're supposed to get out of it but that's not the way we come to the to the lord's table 
we just come to him. You say, it's not about our right process. It's not about us having figured everything out about it. It's just about you being our Lord. I want to say something to you right here at the outset. To those of you who struggle today because this is different. Now, it's, it's tricky for me to talk about this to a church like this. Because we have such mixed backgrounds here. And half the people here uh, don't care. <laughs> you don't have any uh, real commitments to, to how exactly the Lord's Supper is supposed to be done. Uh, another half of the people here, I don't know the numbers exactly, I'm just guessing. Uh, for you, it's a super big deal, and I am one of you. Because we grew up where doing the Lord's Supper a certain way... That was part of our identity. It was part of what made us who we are. And to change it is sort of like deciding to change your last name. And that's probably what some of you are feeling today. Like, man, I'm not going to be Luke Post anymore. I'll be Luke Green now, or whatever. Actually, if I change my last name, I'm changing it to Wolf. I know some Wolfs, and they have a great last name. And it feels that way. It feels like our identity shifts in some way because we were so deeply tied to this being who we are. Specifically, we do communion with one loaf and with one cup. And that is the way, I mean, if you grew up like I did, God is pleased with you because you're doing it that way in contrast to most of the world who is not doing it that way. And you come to a situation where you feel like you're tinkering with that a little bit, and it feels strange. And I have to tell you, I was zealous, zealous for this uh, view throughout my life. Probably more zealous than almost anybody in here. Now, I won't, I won't debate you on it if you think you surpassed me, but uh, raise your hand if you took a tract to your fifth grade teacher trying to convince them that they need to do communion like you do. <laughs> That's me in the fifth grade. And I stayed with it. Now, today, sometimes people are surprised, I guess, because they, they know I've spent uh, a lot of years in higher theological education. They're surprised to learn that I actually still am an advocate for using one loaf and one cup in the Lord's Supper, at least in terms of think of it in some sense as the biblical ideal. Um, and uh, I've spent a lot of time over the years reflecting on this issue. It's not something that I think we should rush to change. However, there's a difference in saying something's a biblical ideal and in saying something is a biblical law. Now, this is not my sermon today, okay? Maybe we need to do some videos about this or have some small group conversations about this. It's a much longer conversation to be had here. But you see, if you are what's called a patternist, uh, if you approach the Bible as if it gives you exact patterns for everything you're supposed to do, then you're not going to be able to distinguish between a biblical ideal and a biblical law. And you're going to think, well, if something seems like the ideal, it's a law. It's a sin if you ever do it differently for any other reason. Even if it costs you your life, you die on it. Because it's the biblical law to do it. But see, if you back away from that and you say, wait a second. The New Testament doesn't really seem to come to us like that. Like a pattern. And we're given, it seems like, more principles and guidance 
And we're invited even to reflect on things with the Spirit, as the church did in Acts chapter 15, gathering and listening to the Holy Spirit. If you approach things from that angle, then all of a sudden things start to seem a little bit different. You start to say, wait a second. What Jesus did and said, it doesn't seem like he did it in the same way that God gave the rules for building the tabernacle. This many feet, by this many feet, by this many feet. Right? It doesn't seem to be the same kind of thing he did when he told Noah how to build the ark. Use exactly this for exactly this much. That's just not the way it comes to us. Which explains why so many godly saints, martyrs for the Christian faith, people who have given their lives, they're more devoted than we are, have done it differently over the years. They weren't trying to disregard something important to God. They weren't trying to dismiss God's law. But there's room for discussion about things like this. And we have to be open to those kind of things. Like I said, I'm not trying to get into all this this morning. This is not what my sermon's about. We could talk at length about these kind of things. But I'm saying it because I want to be a comfort to those. Some of you, are, thanks for bearing with us. You have, you have no idea why we need to talk about this. But others of you in here, you understand. This is an identity issue for you. and You have, you have strong feelings. You may be like, I, I was first time I ever went to a church that did communion somewhat differently than I had done it. When it came time for communion, I was freaking out inside. I was like, oh no, what do I do? And I recognize those emotions don't really correspond to, to my reason. It's just like, what do I do now? i, I, I got to get out of here, which I did. I just like, once I found it convenient, I just eased out the door and, and left uh, because of the strange practices. So today, you may feel some of that. I just want you to know that's okay. It's okay. This is, this is deep in your identity. It may be in your body in a way it's not even in your head. And it's just okay to feel it. You may need to sit back and watch today. Nobody's going to judge you for doing that. It's all right if you're struggling with this emotionally with the change we're making today. I want to tell you that I have been in on some of the elders' conversations about what to do, and I know how they have wrestled with this situation. They weren't looking to bring some kind of change here that would upset people. I know how they grieved to, to send out an announcement and uh, knowing it would grieve some people in this church. And... Uh, they have tried to do the best they can in a very difficult situation. Um, and they have tried to do something that respects principles that I think a lot of you would care about. Principles of having one loaf and one cup uh, while still doing something that we can feel good about uh, that's safe at this time uh, with a global pandemic. Having one table where we come down and have one loaf and we all take from something that's dispensed from one cup to us here today. I recognize still it may feel differently uh, to some of us, and it may be a challenge still, but I want you to know this has been a, a very carefully considered decision, and I hope that you can rest easy in that, uh, knowing the thought and the prayer that have, that have gone into this. Okay, that's my spiel about doing something different today. I'm happy to talk with any of you if you'd like to talk to me about these things in detail. Like I said, I know this is cursory, the kind of things I'm touching on today. and maybe a much longer conversation you want to have with me, and I'm very open to that. So, we've been emphasizing for weeks now the presence of Jesus in the Lord's Supper, that he's really here. There's a Bible scholar who uh, writes about these things, and he, he imagines... Uh, a Thomas Jefferson society. 
He said, imagine the Thomas Jefferson Society that studied Thomas Jefferson's writings, looked into Thomas Jefferson's history, and came together and had a meal and talked about Thomas Jefferson every week. No big deal, right? Then imagine the Thomas Jefferson Society started telling you, when we actually get together and share this meal, Thomas Jefferson is actually there. You want to come to the Thomas Jefferson meal? He'll be there. You will sense his presence. He will nourish you on his teachings. Most of us are going to say, no, you, you just keep that to yourself. <laughs> I don't think I want to go there. But that is what the church has always said about the Lord's Supper. That we don't just come together and talk about Jesus. We don't just come together and remember Jesus. We come together and Jesus is actually there. If we could pull back the curtain and see, we would see Jesus here. And that is mind-blowing, but it is the teaching of Scripture and it is the teaching of the historic church. What does that mean for how we approach this time today? I want to tell you that I believe in the Lord's Supper as we have been talking about it for the last three months. Not because I believe in the Lord's Supper, but because I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the Lord's Supper as a moment to encounter Jesus because I believe he's really alive. And I don't think God raised him from the dead so that he could disappear into the clouds. Maybe we'll see him again one day in the by and by. God raised Jesus from the dead so that he could rule over the world and over his people. And he has said to us specifically that he is present, his body and blood for us in this meal today. Let me review for you briefly what we've said the Lord's Supper is not and what we've said the Lord's Supper is. The Lord's Supper is not just a memorial. It is a memorial. We remember it's not just that. Because there's more going on. It's not just a symbol. It's a symbol. But a symbol's not just a symbol in the Lord's Supper. We're actually entering into something as the symbol comes to us. It's not just a ritual. It is a ritual. But if it were just a ritual, we would be ritualistic. We're not ritualistic. We are encountering the Lord as we go through this ritual. And I don't say just here. It's not a test of our obedience. I think as I grew up, I thought kind of that's what it was, a test of my obedience to do it right. That's not what the Lord's Supper is. Nothing in Scripture indicates the Lord's Supper is a test of our obedience. Here's what the Lord's Supper is. It's an encounter with the living Lord Jesus. I hope you know we're talking about things we've studied in Scriptures now for weeks. I'm not taking the time to go back through all of that. The Lord's Supper is an encounter with the living Lord Jesus. It's an occasion to be nourished in our souls. It's an occasion for repentance and forgiveness. It's a renewal of God's covenant with us. It's an expression, and not just an expression, but an actual sealing, a making, a forming of the unity of the church. And it's an occasion for joy, hope, and thanksgiving. You know, those, those things don't actually contradict each other. We can be repentant of our sins. And we can be joyful because we know the Lord embraces us as we repent of our sins. 
All of this comes together in the Lord's Supper. Here's what Henry Nouwen says about the Lord's Supper as it connects to all of life. Whenever you eat the bread of heaven, you not only become more profoundly united to Jesus, but you also learn gradually to walk his descending way with him. I love that descending way. Jesus stepping down, not stepping up. Jesus wants to give himself to us so much that he has become food for us. And wherever we eat this food, the longing is aroused in us also to give ourselves away to others. The self-surrendering love which we encounter in the Eucharist is the source of the true Christian community. Whenever we eat the body of Jesus and drink his blood, we participate in his descending way and so become a community in which competitiveness and rivalry have made way for the love of God. That's the community we're in on. Today, when you come to the table, make way for the love of God. All the stupid, ignorant stuff that characterizes fleshly human communities, let them be destroyed in Jesus' name. Rivalry and competition. Looking down on others. Racism and hatred and bitterness. Tear them down in Jesus' name and come to the table and make way for the love of God. Here's some questions we can ask in preparation. Let me say this to you. How we prepare matters. It's not the only thing, but it is something. Imagine if you were back in the Old Testament times bringing a sacrifice. What would you do the day before you knew you were going to have this sacrifice for the atonement for your sins? What would you expect the priest to do who's waiting to greet you and take your sacrifice before God? Wouldn't your mind be there? Wouldn't you be anticipating? Wouldn't there be arrangements you were making for it? What kind of things can we do to prepare for this time? You see, we can't just, we can't just rub the bottle and expect Jesus to pop out. And we don't do any, like I said earlier, we don't do any process or procedure and say, oh, boop, that, there he is. You do it like that. No, but we do prepare ourselves to meet Jesus. And here, here are some of the things we can do in preparation. Questions we can ask ourselves. Do you believe that Jesus is alive? Let me just pause with that. And do you believe that he can come close even to you today? Do you repent of your sins? Do you believe your sins are forgiven. As the music plays, do you believe that your sins are forgiven? No problem. Um, it's important that we come to this table in the right spirit, repenting, believing in forgiveness. Have you forgiven your brothers and sisters? Do you, do you see how that would matter? If you're coming to the table and you've got unforgiveness in your heart and you're coming to the one who forgives you of your sins, do you see how that matters? I've been dwelling on a song the last, oh, I don't know, if it, it, I came across it maybe five, four months ago and the words have gripped me and I've thought about the, them since. 
In blazing light, the cross reveals. We might say the table reveals. In blazing light, your cross reveals the truth we dimly knew. What trivial debts are owed to us. How great our debt to you. See, what we remember here when we come to this table is how great our debt is to Jesus. And, and we in turn forgive those who have wronged us. We may need to go to people and forgive them personally. Maybe not. Maybe it's something we just do in our heart. Either way, there needs to be forgiveness flowing when we come to the table. Do you know that we are united as a church as we share in this loaf and cup? Do you accept the terms of the covenant that God has made with you? Do you realize what a privilege it is to participate in the body and blood of Jesus? Do you recognize your deep need for the presence of Christ? Here's some things you can do in preparation for the Lord's Supper. For some time now, I have practiced something that I think Christians have practiced for generations. Uh, fasting from the last thing I eat Saturday, mor- Saturday evening until the first thing I eat Saturday morning is the Lord's Supper. Outside of, outside of toothpaste and water, the first thing to my lips on Sunday morning is generally the body and blood of the Lord. Um, I would recommend it for you. If your body will allow you to, to practice fasting like that, try it out and see and, and wait from Saturday night till this time on Sunday, wait to receive the body and blood of the Lord. We can practice self-examination and confession. And not morbidly, you know, if you dig long enough inside yourself, you can find something always, right? And that, that's, I have to guard against something like that. We're just always trying to find something wrong. But just looking at ourselves before God and saying, is there something here you want me to confess? Maybe go to someone to confess. Maybe you want to go to the elders in preparation for receiving the Lord's Supper and confess sin is a, a wonderful way to prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper. Bodily engagement. I remember sometime back in Kentucky when I was passing the emblems around the church, I came across the back row. There was a lady at the back row who was just on her knees. I'd never seen that before in the Lord's Supper. This lady was just on her knees. And I thought, what a wonderful way to respect the body and blood of the Lord, to be there on your knees. Maybe today, before you come forward or after you come forward, maybe it'll be appropriate for you to be on your knees. There are other ways. Uh, it's, not, it's not wrong to stand and prayerfully walk around. Um, some people may be able to pray better that way. Try not to do it in a distracting way. The other ways to engage our bodies in the Lord's Supper. We can pray. We can journal. You might want to write down uh, what you're committing to God this day. You might want to write down what you're thankful for before God this day. Also, we can have conversation in advance. That looks like a, looks like a, a class, doesn't it? Are you taking advanced conversation? Um, that's not what, it, that's what I want to mean. As you see the, the Lord's Supper coming, we can say, hey, um, are you prepared for the sacrament this week? What if you ask somebody that? Try it this week if you, if you have the opportunity. As the, as the week is drawing more towards the end, try asking somebody, are you prepared for what you're going to do this week? And in advance, you start to, 
to anticipate encountering the Lord here on Sunday. Okay, those are just some ideas, some practical ideas. Now I want to give you a brief scripture, and I'm going to finish up, and, and we're going to invite everyone to, to participate in this time. The parable of the prodigal son. I'm not going to preach that parable this morning, but you know the story. It's one of the most beautiful, powerful stories in the history of stories. This kid spurns his father, insults his father, and wastes his life. Says, give me my inheritance. Goes out, does whatever he wants. Messes up his life entirely. Finally ruins his life and says, I am going to return to my father now. And when he does, he finds that his father does something that blows his mind. His father sees him a long way off and comes running for him to embrace him. This is an extravagant and unexpected and undeserved welcome and unknown love that this guy encounters. Jesus told that story. It was beautiful. It's meant to tell us about God's love for us. Do you know why Jesus told that story? You know what prompted him to tell that story? It's because of something people said. And we'll show you what they said. They grumbled and said, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. They didn't understand why he would do that. How could this holy man... This man who's calling the nation to repentance. This man who's saying the kingdom of God is coming with him. How in the world does he go around eating with sinners? And Jesus told him how. He said, you don't understand God. God's that father who's watching for the sinners. He runs out to meet them as soon as they take a step back towards him. See, in, in the biblical times, meals were a big deal. Not just because, meals are a big deal to a lot of us, right? But not just because they satisfied hunger. Because they were ways, you said, who's in and who's out. They were boundary markers. And who you ate with said something about who you were. If you ate with the right kind of people and ate the right kind of things at the right times and the right places, you were the right kind of person. Jesus blew all that up. Everybody knew he was doing things that nobody else could do. He had a charisma and a power and intelligence that was unrivaled in history. And yet he was going around eating with these people that none of the religious people would dare to be seen with. How did that happen? I read a book uh, years ago. It was called Contagious Holiness by a guy named Craig Blomberg. And, and what he does is he shows, this is very rough, but he shows how in, in uh, ancient times, in biblical and, and post-biblical materials, post-Old Testament, intertestamental type materials, you have these, these rules that indicate impurity is contagious. Right? Uncleanness is contagious and sin is contagious. You see a dead body, don't touch it. You touch it, don't go to the temple, you're unclean. Somebody with a bleeding issue, stay away. You see a leper, by all means, stay away or else you're out for a while. You're contagious. You've been exposed. 
And what, what this guy noticed is that with Jesus, it's like the whole thing gets reversed. Wherever he goes, he steps right into the impurity, into the uncleanness. And instead of him becoming unclean, the other person becomes pure. See a leper? They're supposed to be saying, unclean, stay away. The guy comes to Jesus and says, Master, if you're willing. You know what Jesus does? I am willing. He doesn't even, he doesn't even throw it out from a distance. He's not even six feet away. He grabs the guy. I am willing. Be clean. Dead bodies. Funeral processions passing through. Jesus walks right up. Uh-oh, Jesus. You can't go to the temple now. You're unclean. Nope. Actually, the temple just came to that dead body. <laughs> Rise up and live. Life. Mother rejoicing because her little child is living again. Jesus is still clean. <laughs> that child's alive. Sinners. Zacchaeus. Everybody stay away from Zacchaeus. Nobody's hated more than Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm coming to your house tonight. And this day, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. Jesus didn't become unclean by Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus became clean because of Jesus. Let me tell you what happens at the Lord's Supper. The contagious life of Jesus overflows to us sinners. And this man who welcomed sinners welcomes you to the table today. And just like he said to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to eat with you. He looks at you today and says, hey, I'm coming to eat with you. Receive my life today. The invitation is for you to come today. Come on your knees with reverence. Come with tears of repentance. Come with songs of joy and thanksgiving. Come with hunger for the presence of Christ. Come in unity with your brothers and sisters. Come, sinner, come. Come with your life in shambles. Come if you've just had the greatest week of your life. Come in thanksgiving. But come to the table. We're going to sing a song. We're not going to sing a song. We're going to listen to a song at the beginning of communion. I want to really encourage you to, to sit with the words of it. It's one of my all-time favorite songs. And uh, don't feel like you have to rush. There's no pressure. Nobody's watching you to see what you do. So when we start to commune, don't feel like there's some kind of rush for you. you. Sit and pray, and when you're ready, come forward. But listen to the words of these songs, of this song, uh, Come to Jesus. It begins, weak and wounded sinner, lost and left to die. Raise your hand, for love is passing by. And come to Jesus. I want you to know that week after week here at this church, when we commune, love is passing by. 
and you can come to Jesus. Would the praise team go ahead and, and come forward? And uh, I'm going to read these words from Henry Nowen to close. The story of Jesus is the story of God who wants to come close to us so that we can see God, it should say S-E-E, see God with our own eyes, hear God with our own ears, touch God with our own hands. So close that there's nothing between us and God. Nothing that separates. Nothing that divides. Nothing that creates distance. Jesus is God for us. God with us. God within us. Jesus is God giving himself completely. Pouring himself out for us without reserve. Jesus doesn't hold back or cling to his own possessions. He gives all there is to give. Hear these words today as you come to commune. Eat. Drink. This is my body. This is my blood. This is me.